Conversations that pastors should probably avoid uh, since they might undermine the congregation's confidence in their discernment. And he said, this is one of those stories. And since he's not your pastor, I'll go ahead and share it with you. Uh, but it was of a time when he, back when he was 26 years old and, and he had just been taken on as a pastoral intern at Covenant Fellowship. And his first assignment was to pick up Dave Harvey from the airport. Dave was the, then the senior pastor, and he was on the Sovereign Grace leadership team. And, and he was returning from a ministry trip in Germany. And, and Jared was just, just excited about this opportunity, you know, make a good impression on his new boss and just planned out, what are we going to talk about on the ride home? What kind of questions am I going to ask him? And so the, the day before he was going to pick him up, he looked at the, the flight information and the departure and arrival locations uh, weren't really familiar to him. You know, uh, they, they were Newark and Hamburg. And uh, he had never heard of Newark. Uh, but he, he did know that um, Hamburg was a, was a town not too far off in, in Pennsylvania. You know, he'd grown up in that area. And so that was pretty familiar to him. And so uh, he, he Googled airports in Hamburg. And all the hits were coming up for, for some airport in another country, which didn't seem to be really helpful. And so he Googled airports in Hamburg, PA. And there was one that uh, came up. It was for Blue Mountain Academy Airport. Sounds good. And so he drove out the next day for about an hour and a half and stopped at the local gas station and, and the attendant, you know, he asked him where, where he could find the airport. And the guy thought for a minute and then he uh, directed him to uh, this, this small high school called Blue Mountain Academy, which had an airport. He drove in and noticed there, there was this uh, grass airstrip next to a cornfield with a little crop duster plane parked next to it. And he went into the administrative offices. And at that point, he, he felt like he couldn't quite bring himself to ask, excuse me, has Continental Flight 75 from Germany arrived? Uh, but he did say he was waiting on a, a friend to, to land and didn't know if he needed any information about that. And the, the woman said, I didn't realize they were still flying, but you know, you can go out to the airstrip. And so he went and parked his car and it just was a beautiful day. You know, just the sun was golden. He just knew any minute Dave's plane would be coming over those mountains. But then he thought, man, I, I just really hope that, that guy who's mowing the lawn doesn't get hit when the plane comes in. And he said, that was the thought that brought me to my senses. It was the guy in the sleeveless flannel riding the John Deere tractor. And then he realized the mistake he had made. And all of a sudden, panic set in. He called the church office and let them know where he was. And, and, and he, was, he was told that he, his services would no longer be needed on this assignment. The drive home was a long one. And it just was a a whirlwind of thought, you know, you idiot, how, how could you let this happen? Do you, how do you expect to be able to pastor with this kind of incompetence? You know, how, how are you going to lead God's people to have a heart for the nations when you don't know that Hamburg is a city in Germany? Hey, Jared, you ever heard of Paris? What about Tokyo? Are those also cities in Pennsylvania as well? And, and this just started a season for him of evaluation, it was like everything was put under analysis. He, he second-guessed every decision, just, just caught up in this vortex of self, trying to lead people while wondering how stupid they thought he was. It's, it's a funny story, 
But that kind of background noise is, is probably familiar to many of us. We enter into settings, maybe even this one, and playing in the background is, is, is the sound of our own deficiencies, questions about how we're perceived, what do people think, and so there's this inner dialogue that we listen to. Now, now we don't all struggle with this in the same way. You know, for some of you, if we played the soundtrack, it, it would sound like the opening scene to Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta walking down the street to the Bee Gees, you know, just any, any sort of moment, you just arrive on the scene anticipating people want you there, they're ready to see your moves, hear your stories, laugh at your jokes. You know, good luck with that. Um, but either way, There's a good bit of us in the picture. But when we're pulled inward in this way, our ability to step into what God has called us to do is hindered. Self-awareness is the enemy of ministry. I mean, think about it. You can't can't drive your car while you're staring at yourself in the rearview mirror. I don't know if anybody needs to be informed about that. Uh, But in the same way, I I can't preach while staring at myself preaching. You know, my my eyes need to be on God, and they need to be on you. And and this is true in in any category where God's called us to serve. You know, the band up here, they can't model what worship looks like if they're just preoccupied with how do I sound, how do I look right now, what do people think. You know, worship is this outward orientation. It it pulls us outside of ourselves. It's designed to fill our minds with an awareness of God's goodness, his saving power, his mercy on our lives. We can't worship and be self-absorbed at the same time. You know, Nicole and CJ, they shared their testimonies this morning. And in order to do that, they, they had to get outside of themselves. And most people don't want to stand up and talk in front of a few hundred people, right? But aren't you glad that they did? I mean, what, wasn't that effective? That just was so encouraging to hear God's work in their lives. We had a, a prayer workshop yesterday and just a really encouraging turnout for that of just God stirring up in people, a a renewal of prayer. But we've made the observation over the years that um, prayer meetings, they they tend to be not as well attended. It's also more common for people to come and just kind of sit quietly. They're not not praying out. What's going on there? Well, I don't know. I just don't, not sure what to say. I don't like to talk in front of other people. Yeah, well, self-awareness is the enemy of ministry. You can't minister and serve if you're constantly watching yourself doing so, double-checking what's coming out, what's being received. Now, this isn't just a message for leaders because every believer is called a minister, which, which means we, we need the freedom of self-forgetfulness. And this morning, we're going to revisit something in the passage we looked at last week Uh, Next time, we'll pick up again where we left off. But tucked away in Paul's teaching on leadership is is this insight that will benefit us all. There's something that liberates Paul to serve the Corinthians, despite the fact that maybe two-thirds of them don't support him. But he doesn't seem to be listening to that noise. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 4, we'll begin in verse 3. Let's back up to verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ 
and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Oh God, our our eyes are on you right now. Would you quiet our hearts? Would you enable us to listen? And would you be faithful to speak? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, four things we're going to look at in our passage here. There's the condemnation of human courts, the problem with being puffed up, the judgment of another jurisdiction, and the grace that gets the glory. And so first, the condemnation of human courts. Paul says, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you. Now, why is he saying that? Well, he's having to say that because he's being judged by them. <laughs> all right, remember the context here. There, there are all these factions in the church surrounding their favorite players. Now, last year, for the first time, I got into fantasy football. We were roped into doing a staff league. And so I'm bringing with that all of my sports expertise, having played flag football in middle school. So I'm up against TC this weekend, so please give me your prayers, send, send your thoughts my way. Uh, but it's, it's a weird experience, you know, you're, 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 you're watching a game, but then you have your own little personal version of the team, and, you know, I'm a Saints fan, so obviously I want them to do well, but sometimes, may the Saints win, but just not with that player or that one, and may that one from the opposing team really get against Drew, right? Whenever I'm up against uh, Ronald, he's drafted like half of the Saints players, and so it makes it a really weird experience. But in a similar way, the, the, the Corinthians, they, they, they were drafting their own apostolic fantasy teams, and they were running stats on Paul. And several of them were dropping him from their roster. They weren't just questioning his competence. They, they, they were questioning his character, his motives, whether he really wanted what was best for them. And, and they were looking down on those who supported them. Oh, wait, wait, you're, you're a member of the Paul party? Really? What's wrong with you? Are you sure you want to be associated with that kind of man? That's what's going on inside this church. Paul, what do you do with that? Nothing. It is a very small thing. It is of little consequence. He he uses a diminutive term there, meaning the least. That's the very least of my concerns. It it doesn't affect me. He's, He's not caught up in their evaluative game. 
Now that might sound blunt, but he, he's not being stubborn or dismissive here. He, he is loving them, right? Paul's freed from needing the approval of the Corinthians, which enables him to serve them. And any effective leadership requires this. If you're in some kind of management role, if you exercise oversight, your, your workplace, you, you know you, you can't do your job if you're just trying to be liked by everyone. You, you can't parent while trying to desperately be your kid's best friend. If you're trying to do that, you're, you're not helping them. And one of the most loving things Paul can do for this church is tell them he doesn't really care what they think. And Paul takes this outside of the Corinthian congregation. He's not paralyzed by the judgment of any human court. And that's the issue here. Because remember, they were rendering judgments. Remember chapter 3? That were merely human. And more than that, they were borrowing the standards of the surrounding culture in order to do that. They were judging according to a world that had itself been judged. In Christ, this age has already fallen under judgment. And it is passing away. And Paul's saying that to assess things based on that is to chain yourself to an anchor that was thrown over the cliff and into the sea. He says, I'm, I'm not attached to that. He's speaking for himself as a leader here, but he, but he also wants them to follow him into the same freedom. He, he's not bragging here. He's inviting them to join in. He says, I've applied all these things to myself for your benefit. So Dave, David Garland writes, Paul presents his indifference to being judged by them as an example for them to follow. He's always setting an example. And then D.W. Cuck observes, Paul's not primarily trying to make a point about himself and his relationship to the congregation. Rather, he's setting forth a principle which applies not only to himself, not only to Apollos and Cephas, but also to other teachers and by extension to all who labor in the gospel, that is, all believers. And what help this is? Indifference to being Judged our abilities, our performance, our appearance, how we compare to others, whether people are pleased with us, these things add no value to us. Paul does not go to the Corinthians for the verdict that he is somebody. And then he takes this one step further. He, he also doesn't go to himself for this. He adds... I do not even judge myself. I mean, that, that's remarkable. He, he's saying, your opinion matters little to me. And as a matter of fact, my opinion matters little to me, right? Can you hear the freedom here? And, and by the way, this, this takes our culture's typical response to this and it, it flips it on its head. You know, our, our culture is always telling us that we should combat people's negative appraisal of us with like positive self-affirmations and so look at yourself in the mirror tell yourself you're beautiful no matter what they say but the thing is my my generation the the millennials uh, we have been raised more than any other on the message of self-esteem and yet we are one of the most anxious generations It, it hasn't fixed us 
The, the you can be anything you want to be motivational tagline. It, it, it's brought with us with it, the pressures of achievement and the need to prove that you actually are somebody, but reality stares us back in the mirror. And the slogans don't comfort. Looking inward provides no hope. We're still searching for a human court. And today, many, we have many opportunities to welcome human courts to render judgment on our lives. We, we try to read the signals that we receive from other people. And, and it could be consuming. You, you, you replay conversations in your mind. You comb over the things that you said. What were people's reactions to that? You, you, you base your sense of worth on how you're doing at your job, whether your performance is recognized, whether or not you feel included in the relationships at your workplace. What do they mean by that? They're off doing something without you and once again, you're left out. What does it say about who you are? We seek validation through social media likes. And, and listen, you can do that in here if you're a teenager. You can do that in here if you're 53. And it's probably more the people in their 50s these days, right? Um, that thought I posted, that political standpoint that I shared, that funny video I uploaded, the 100th picture of my dinner uh, is supposed to get me something from you out of that. I don't know. The Google archives just must be filled with images of people's meals. What are people going to think about us 200 years from now? I don't know. Uh, we try to compensate for what's normal about us or, or kind of boring. And so we, we present some version of ourselves in our online life that's more courageous, that's wittier, that's more culturally aware than we really are. And, and the problem is, everybody's doing that. And then we compare ourselves to the selective presentation that other people are providing. You, you, you see they're like one snapshot of peace in the midst of a chaotic life. And you conclude, my, my life's not like that. My kids don't look like that. My friendships aren't like that. My vacations don't look like that. We never go to those kinds of places. You scroll past any category and we can feel like we, we fail to measure up. We don't throw birthday parties like the ones on Pinterest. We're probably given our families cancer because our cleaning supplies weren't extracted from eucalyptus. You know, I don't, I don't know, whatever. There's just some way to not meet the standards. And, and everything can go under review, right? We, we overanalyze our personality. Maybe even our spiritual growth. And, and it can feel like we're just coming up short in every area of life. I'm just a failure as a friend, as a father, as a husband, as a Christian. And at the close of the day, all the neglected areas of your life greet you. Along with the anxiety that these things are never going to change. And the guilt that they haven't been furthered. And the voice of the Spirit gets drowned out in the noise. Now, Paul is not throwing out all evaluation here. He, he's not deaf to critique and he is appropriately self-examining. Look, look what Jerry Mellinger writes. One reason we look inward is because we know it's a necessary part of the Christian life. God calls us to examine and test ourselves, to examine our ways, to keep a close watch on ourselves, to keep our hearts with all vigilance, to look carefully at how we live 
and to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. These commands cannot possibly be obeyed through total self-forgetfulness. And and so we, we need to consider our ways. And we also need to invite outside perspective. You know, there, there, there's a cultural version of don't listen to the haters uh, that some Christians tend to adopt. And, and so, you know, if, if somebody questions a decision you've made, you, you say, you know, I'm a daughter of the king. I don't need all your negativity. Uh, maybe you do need a little bit more negativity in your life. Maybe you need to analyze some things that you're doing. But right here in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, we're called to receive leadership That might sometimes correct us. And then in the very next chapter, Paul's going to teach about church discipline. He's going to portray this communal accountability that might result in somebody needing to be put outside of the church. And you just keep reading the letter. You get to chapter 6 and and, and Paul's rebuking them because they're bringing lawsuits against one another. A believer is bringing believer to court. and, And he says, aren't there any wise people in your midst who could judge these things for yourselves? And so we're, we're called to make judgments and to receive judgments from ourselves and from others. But Paul does not attach his security, his confidence, his identity to either their assessment or his own. He does not treat these things as the final Evaluation. I mean, think about this. God is not helped by our appraisal of people. You realize that, right? He's not waiting for our opinion. He doesn't base his report on our findings. He, he doesn't need any sort of help understanding people and circumstances. And here the Corinthians might think positively of Paul or they might think negatively of him. But the results will be the same because they will add nothing to him and God's assessment of him. And so earlier in this book, he can say amazingly in chapter 2, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things. We're called to do that, but is himself to be judged by no one. The problem is, that's not the natural condition that we're in. Now, why do we... Why do we submit to these judgments? Well, we're, we're looking to them to provide us something that we think that we need. And Paul clues us in on this. Look at verse 6. He says further in that verse, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. And, and that word for puffed up there, it's not the, the typical Greek word for pride. It means to be filled up with air or to be inflated. And it's, it might be a play on words on Paul's part because the, the Corinthians, they, they love to describe themselves as we're, we're the spiritual people. I don't know if you knew this. We're the spiritual people right there. And, and, and the word for spirit is, is pneuma, which is also the word for wind or air. And, he, and he, he might be saying, you know, in some areas, there's a good bit more hot air than Holy Spirit going on in your midst. But, but, but this is the human condition. We, we connect the air hose of our lives to the pump of people's approval. And we're always taking pressure readings. And then this is interesting because you know, what, what comes to your mind when you think of a prideful person? What's pride 
look like? What kind of caricature comes to your attention when you think about that? Because pride doesn't have to sound loud and boastful. Maybe it's quiet and insecure. You know, the, the self-assured mover and shaker and, and the risk-averse introvert, they both struggle with pride. You, you don't have to think of yourself more highly than you ought to be proud. Maybe you just think more often than you ought. Timothy Keller, I, I borrowed my title from an excellent book by him. And, and, and listen to this thought he shares. If we are puffed up by air and not filled up with something solid then to be overinflated or deflated comes down to the same thing. A superiority complex and an inferiority complex are basically the same. They are both results of being overinflated. The person with the superiority complex is overinflated and in danger of being deflated. The person with an inferiority complex is deflated already. Let's tease that out a little bit. What might be some signs that you are inflated? Uh, You believe your own press? You know, at least my mom thinks I'm hot stuff, and so that's enough to convince me. You're dismissive of criticism. You, You conclude that people just don't understand or appreciate your gifts. If only they could see. If only they could realize why God has placed you on the planet. That would make all the difference. Uh, You don't suffer from introspection about whether you did well. You just come away assuming you were awesome. That was good, you know. Uh, You you drag people along to serve your agenda. But the thing is, you you might not even be aware that you're doing that. Because you, you don't really pay attention to how they're affected. All you can see is the stage that's in front of you in life and the next thing you think that's gonna advance that. You're impatient with people who, who think differently than you, who, who don't want to approach life the way that you do, the pace that you do. You think they just need to get with the program. You're a conflict magnet, and you probably enjoy it too much. You're inflated. What might be some signs of a deflated sense of self? Um, you, you often assume people are critical of you. You... You read into their responses. And so, you know, maybe you just happened to catch that person during a hard time. It was a bad week. Maybe it was a moment of distraction and you just happened to come up at just the wrong time. And you, you come away and, and you've concluded they've got something against you. That, that person just doesn't like me. Well, well, maybe there's just a lot happening in their world and you're so absorbed in yourself, you can't even notice that's going on. You find any expectations placed on you to be exasperating. You you don't want to hear one more thing you're supposed to be doing. Don't tell me one more thing that I'm not doing right. Don't add to the list. Don't remind me that there might actually be some kind of expectation for how I'm supposed to respond, what faithfulness, faithfulness might look like, what obedience to God requires. It's like you've got no more space to hear that. And, and maybe you've come to a conclusion that those kinds of messages, those kinds of sermons, they're wrong. They don't feel right. You often come away from a Sunday morning feeling condemned. And maybe that's something on our part. Maybe that's something inside of you. 
You, you, you could be difficult to encourage. Not easily edified. Somehow you, you just find a way to retreat back into yourself. Even when somebody's attempted to lift your gaze for a moment. Maybe you're depressed. And listen, that, that could be for a variety of reasons. Life could just be really sad right now. Uh, there might be something physiologically affecting you. But might it be that you are trapped in a cloud of mental noise? You're deflated and you feel drained. Maybe confident people annoy you or they tend to make you nervous and, and you assume that because they're confident, that must be pride right there. That person's a really proud person. When, when maybe that's just the, the spirit of God who's changed them, who has empowered them. But, but somehow you always feel judged in their presence. You're, you're not dismissive to criticism. You, you're hypersensitive to it. You, you tend to be crushed by it. Especially in close relationships, it, it causes you to withdraw, to disappear into your emotional silo. Or may, maybe you're angered by it. Maybe that's the moment that you light up. And that's the moment where you get loud and you get noisy. How, how could they say that about me? After all the ways I've done, all the, all the things I've done for them, all, all of the good I have brought, and you just kind of rehearse this mental list and come away feeling justified. You tend toward self-pity. Nobody likes me. I just hate myself. But really, you don't hate yourself. If you did, you'd be glad nobody likes you, right? I'll take that self, get back, right? The, 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 the reality is you're still preoccupied with yourself. Self-loathing is a masked form of self-love. C.S. Lewis made the observation that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And it's kind of funny because sometimes Christians get around teaching about humility and they become really self-deprecating. They're always talking about how they're, they're just not good at anything. I'm just the worst at anything I ever try to do. But somehow they still always manage to be the topic of the conversation and, and, and maybe they're looking for that subtle affirmation of, nah, you're really great, man, at that. You do such a good job. It tends to circle back to that. But whether we're inflated or deflated, there is something hollow on the inside, which means we'll never be satisfied. Seeking to be justified, seeking our identity in success will not fulfill us. You will be searching and searching and every piece of evidence that you file away to prove that you are somebody will be insufficient. It will never be enough. And you'll be left empty. We, we need another report to help us. Paul gives us this, verse 4. It says, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. Right? That, that self-report, it's, it's not trustworthy. We, we wouldn't even know ourselves accurately and we'll probably make excuses for whatever it is that we do fine. We, we need something more reliable. And he says, it is the Lord who judges me. 
Paul doesn't care what other people think. He doesn't even care what he thinks. He cares about what God thinks of him. And what God thinks of him and of you and me has already been announced. God's God's verdict frees us from the courtroom of human opinion. We don't need to live every day on trial. And, And there are these two weapons in the Pauline arsenal against this. The first is justification. That, that word he uses in verse 4 for acquitted. It's the, it's the word that shows up in his writings for justification. That's how I am justified. He, he says don't pronounce judgment before the time. But, but you know who can do that? Who sees the end from the beginning? God can do that. And he has. Right in the middle of history. We, we already received our sentencing 2,000 years ago. In the death of Christ, the worst thing about me has already been declared. I've already been condemned. In Jesus, I was judged as a criminal in a kangaroo court. I went through the whole charade, the false witnesses, the accusations, the trial at night. I've already been Paraded before the public, dressed up in some king costume. I've already been mocked and abused. The worst, listen, the worst gossip you could ever find out about me has already been screamed from Golgotha. I crucified the Lord of glory. What what could be exposed about me that's worse than that? That my sin was so ugly, so selfish, so heinous that it required the perfect son of God to hang looking like raw meat on a steak. What else could you know about me that you need to know besides that? What other news could I fear being revealed when I've already died naked and ashamed? And we've already been vindicated it Jesus. He's risen with healing in his wings. As we sang earlier, Paul speaks with the freedom of a dead man risen. When Christ stepped out of the grave on Easter morning, it was the declaration before the universe that he was exonerated and loved by God. It was a reversal of the Jewish and Roman courts. God overturned that verdict when he stepped out in new life and we were in him. That's what baptism's all about, by the way. He went in the grave and he came back out and we were right there. And with it, we have divine approval received by faith alone. No more performance required. That's justification. The final assessment has been declared ahead of time. We are in the right. And one day God will make his opinion of us known publicly. And that's the second thought and really the main idea here. When, when Paul talks about any human court, li- literally the word he uses there is any human day. It's like our expression, a day in court. And he says there, there's no day in court here and now that provides this for me. But there is a day that is coming. There is a day of judgment. And it's a day that does not need to be feared for those who are in Christ. 
But it is a sobering day. He he says it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. That there is an eventual performance review from the master. From the one that we serve. Not from the people that we are given to to be serving. But from the one whose stewardship we are exercising here. He will bring his assessment. And on that day Paul says... Every secret is revealed. Every hidden self-serving motive. There's no managing what we allow other people to see. No matter how much we try to do that in this life. Everything comes into the open then. Right? And, and, And that is as deeply serious. Paul was deeply serious about this. And a few weeks ago we we considered the possibility that we we might be suffering loss on that day. But, but here, I think he's, he's leveraging this for our encouragement. That's what you hear, right? He says, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Commendation. The, the Corinthians were after praise. And Paul was as well, by the way. It just, human praise mattered very little to him. He wanted As Jesus said, the glory that comes from God alone. C.S. Lewis said that God is hard to satisfy but easy to please. Think about that. His his righteous standards are perfect. And so as C.J. shared in his testimony, we, we, we can never measure up. We can never in our own efforts satisfy his holiness. But in Christ, we can please him. Did you know that? The film Chariots of Fire, which by the way is another great soundtrack to live by, you know, dun 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 Just go out and run and listen to that, right? It, it uh, tracks along with the, the 1924 Berlin, uh, the Olympics in Paris rather. Uh, I, I don't know where geography is either. I'm like Jared Mellinger. Uh, Eric Little was a, was a Christian and and he refused to run on the Sabbath. Um, and that theme kind of appears throughout the movie of, of weariness versus Sabbath rest. But his, his role is um, contrasted with, a, with another runner named Harold Abrahams. And about the sprint, uh, Abrahams would say, I, I, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. That race, those 10 seconds... That's what says whether or not I'm worth something. But Eric Little said, God may be fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You feel his pleasure. Years ago, Wayne Grudem wrote an article titled, Pleasing God by Our Obedience. A neglected New Testament teaching. Neglected in the academic world and certainly neglected in... The church, and this is stunning to think about. While our obedience adds nothing to our justified status before God, it does increase our experience of the relational pleasure of God. Just, just consider all the ways that Scripture speaks about this. Are you saved? God is at work in you for His good pleasure. Philippians two thirteen. Do you have faith? That is what pleases him. Hebrews eleven six. are you serving Christ and others with your life? 
You are acceptable to God and approved by men, Romans 14, 18. Did you give generously this morning? Your offering was acceptable and pleasing to God, Philippians 4, 18. This holiday season, are you seeking opportunities to share what you have with others? Well, such sacrifices are pleasing to God, Hebrews 13, 16. Teenagers in here, you obeying your parents? Paul says, that pleases the Lord, Colossians 3, 20. Are you single? You have, oppor- you have an opportunity to be devoted to the things of God. How to please the Lord. And the list goes on and on as you read through the New Testament. Do you feel his pleasure? Let that drown out all the other noise. And run as hard as you can. Ronald, if you come back up, man. Final thought for us. Verse 7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And you could, you could flip that. Why do, you, why do you boast about the things you have? Why do you feel discontent, disgruntled about the things that you haven't been provided when it's just grace that produces any of this anyway? Who sees anything different in you? You could also translate that. Who, who gives you your distinctives? What marks you out? What distinguishes you? What, what provides you with significance? And the answer is the work of God. God does that. The, the, the features in that person you're jealous of, God did that. Who you are, what you feel secure in, what you feel insecure in, God has, has made you what you are. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Anything that is noteworthy about us is claimed by the grace of God. We, we can't boast in the fact that we're a charity case. The giver gets the glory. And, and that frees us to actually enjoy what God has given, what he has provided, to, to go through life without needing to always be building my personal resume to see every experience as some stepping stone that ad- advances who I am. I-, I can have eyes wide open to the grace of God. I-, I can enjoy these things. They don't have to be Instagrammable moments. <laughs> they don't have to be publish worthy. They can just be gifts. Self-forgetfulness also allows us to see and celebrate the grace of God at work in others. We We get outside of ourselves for a little bit and we're able to take interest in them, to see how they're suffering, to discern how's God empowering them? How is he at work in you? How can I encourage you because my eyes are on you and they're not locked inside of me? It also releases us to appropriate gratitude for what God has done in us, right? What what distinguishes you, you know, his, his expected answer is not nothing. It's, it's, it's that God distinguishes us. And so he, he wants us to look at the gifts. And one of the ways that we glorify the giver is by considering the gifts. And Christmas morning's coming up. Parents and grandparents here, you know, you, you don't want your, your kids 
to get their presence and, and use that as, as a reason to brag to others and think that they're more worthy than their siblings or their friends because of some of the stuff that they got. Well, that would just be obnoxious. You also don't want them to just run off playing with their stuff and totally forget about you. But if, if they took all their presents and stacked them up in the closet and closed the door and said, Mom, Dad, I just, I just really want you. I'm just so thankful for you. Uh, something would be missing there, right? That, that wasn't quite what you were going for. And God wants us to see and use what he has given. The, the Puritans, they, they're often accused of, of being morbidly introspective, of being self-abasing. I don't know, they must have just kneeled on rice or something. Uh, but this is actually something that they regularly warned against. Richard Sibbs, the Puritan pastor, he encourages us to know our own graces. He writes, a Christian should not only examine his heart for the evil that is in him to be humbled, but also examine his heart for what good there is that he may joy and be thankful. God is producing good. And this room is filled with it. He's doing that in us. We we need to be careful theologically we don't end up in one of two ditches. We are unworthy. But we're not worthless. We have no merit to bring. But that doesn't mean we have no Value, right? What do you have that you've not received? Nothing. But we have received something. God has done that. He is doing that. He is transforming us. He is restoring us. He is repairing his image in us. He is beautifying the broken. He is empowering us to serve. May he receive all the glory. For what he has done. Let's stand together. Father, that word freedom is, that's a capturing word. Lord, I just believe what you impressed upon my heart last night in praying for this was your intent to release people that you love. And God, that's, that's what we ask. We ask you to break in right now. But we know that even for Paul, this wasn't just one verse that he would set and forget and move on for he had, he had experienced some significant things of you that got him outside of himself. But we know this will be an ongoing struggle, but we also know there, there, there are moments where you just overwhelm us with your care. Your spirit moves. There's sudden clarity where, where there was confusion. You lift the cloud you rescue us from what we're always striving for. You, you expand our vision to see what you have done and what you are doing. God, I, I pray. I pray for your ministry right now. 
whatever it is contained in this word, whatever you have identified that we need release. Lord, if that's condemnation, Lord, maybe for some of us, we, it's not just that we tend to forget, we, we, we haven't really realized what happened 2,000 years ago. That there, there already is a perfect life. There already is a death that satisfies you. That we've already gone under judgment and we can receive that. Just by looking to you. Looking away from us. Looking away from our religion. Looking away from life on our own terms. Looking to you as a perfect savior. Arisen with healing in his wings. Lord, I pray for those Lord, who, who do not know Christ in this way, Lord, would they turn to you? Would you bring freedom? But I, I pray for those who, who know that news but still live with just such a sense of regret. They just, it's a regular script for them to go to their failures, to the people that they have hurt for the fact that they, they, they might be in their 50s and 60s now and they're just... There's wreckage in the rearview mirror and they're often looking at it. God, lift their gaze. Help us, Lord. Bring freedom. Out of particular sense for those who the Lord has identified in you, an area where, where you, you know you need help. You know you need care. You know you, you need counseling. But it's so, it's so close to shame for you. You, you don't want to start that conversation. You, you don't want to be known in that way. You don't want to be judged. And so you, 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 you are content with, and right now you're trying to, how, how, do you, how do you live the rest of your life just accommodating that being present? Lord, I pray for your care right now. I pray for your freedom. I pray for the invitation of your grace that we would gladly run into. And I pray for... A sense of your pleasure, Lord, that liberates us to live for your glory and serve those you've placed in our lives. Let's look outward and sing to him. Let's look towards the heavens and sing. Before the throne of God above have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is God, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart, I know that while in heaven no tongue can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart.
tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see Him there, who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted you to do something in response to this message. Um, a few weeks ago, planning where we were headed in 1 Corinthians, and Evan and I had a brief conversation, just something he had a burden for in this passage that just so bore witness with me that we needed to hear exactly what God had put in his heart. And I don't think anybody could have said it any better than what you share with us this morning. Um, so here's what I want, I'm going to suggest for you to do. I, I feel like what Evan did this morning was when somebody walks up to you and to take a picture and you're in it and they, and they show it to you real quick and you, and you just go, I think I saw myself. That's what I think happened to us this morning. I think we just got a glimpse of ourselves. So I think you need to go back. What would you do if somebody did that to you in a picture? You thought that was you, but you weren't quite sure you ever wore something that looked like stupid. You'd go back and look at it. Wait, wait, can I see that? Oh my, 
oh my gosh, that is me. And what was I thinking wearing that? And why do I have that look on my face? You, you're going to need to take a little more close look at yourself. All Evan did this morning, he did an outstanding job, was show us a quick picture of ourself. Especially the deflated and inflated was priceless help. Please take these notes and go back and listen to this message again and perhaps again and again. And then you're going to come to a place, and I have been praying for us for this service. I thought this was just a significant service that was coming for us. I sent a text to my kids this morning. Please take careful notes today. This is so helpful. Not even knowing exactly where he was going, but I, I knew it would be helpful. And then I was praying for us, and you prayed this for us at the end of the service. This should breed counseling meetings. Because quite honestly, many of us, please hear me, many of us are going to stare at the picture and go, why why do I wear that clothing and have that look on my face? I am doing that, but I don't understand why. You're going to need some help. And you're going to need to make an appointment and come in and get some help to figure out why is this noise inside of me the way it is. So take the picture with you. Go listen to it again and again, and then make an appointment and come get some help. Amen? And God bless you guys, and thank you, Evan. That was super helpful.